we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, just the joy it is to be together. And um, we pray today that your spirit would move. And we pray that uh, we would find freedom in you today, that we would find freedom in, in your truth, that we'd find freedom in the wisdom that we get from your word. And I pray I pray that uh, you would help us, that you would be with us, that you would speak to us. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Okay, hopefully this microphone holds up. I just heard it cut out then, but it should be good. So today, um, yeah, as I said earlier, we're going into the book of Ecclesiastes again, opening up to chapter four. You're welcome to to go there now. But about a month ago, I was uh, going to my old youth group to preach a message there. Some of our youth came across with me. It was a great night. And as I was preparing for my message on, on that night, I couldn't help but think about how much it related to what we're going to talk about today in Ecclesiastes 4. And um, it's a very popular passage that we're going to look at, but, um, you know, some of us who, who, were, who were there on that night, I think Scott was there and some of, if any of our other youth were there, maybe they might remember, but um, it, was a, uh, it was a message about what it means to, be, to, to do life in the church and the value of life in the church and the value of life together as opposed to, the, as opposed to trying to do life alone. And um, it just fits so well with these verses that we're going to look at today. So for those who were there that night, you might, you might see a couple of, uh, you know, stories. Uh, you might remember a couple of stories or passages that we look at because I just saw it's, it's nearly the same message, but we're going to bounce out of Ecclesiastes 4 today. So... It's one of the more well-known passages out of Ecclesiastes. You've probably heard it before at a wedding. I know it was read out at my wedding. And while it is a great passage to read at a wedding, um, I think we can often dismiss the broader and deeper application that that applies to every one of us, whether we're married or not. um, It applies to all of our lives. And so we're going to start in verse 9 and just read through to verse 12 and have have a listen to what this says. It says, two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labour. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So these verses, they're really just making up a, a, a few proverbs that have been put together. In Ecclesiastes, it's, it's, it, this time it's more just like a, a few, um, you know, something you might read out, out of the book of Proverbs. And it seems fairly straightforward in what it's saying as well. It's like, hey, doing doing things with other people is better than doing them alone. That's really what it seems to be saying, pretty straightforward. And while there is some great truths that relate to marriage and, and, and close relationships, I don't think that this passage was necessarily written with marriage in mind. Although, even though marriage is a great example of the application of its truth, right? So we don't want to, we want to be sure we don't dismiss the, the broader thing, <clears throat> excuse me, going on 
here just because we always automatically think of marriage when we, when we read this passage. So something that's valuable for us when we look at this, and, and um, this is a bit, of a bit of a thing that goes on with every um, popular verse that gets taken out of all sorts of different books in the Bible, is we don't read the context. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to go and read the two verses beforehand, verses 7 and 8, and, and put ourselves in the, try and, try and figure out what was the mind of the guy who wrote this? What was he trying to actually get at? What was, he, what was he getting at when he wrote this? Because I think there's some value in it. He says this in verse 7 and 8. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. Right? He's saying here's another example of something that is meaningless. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. And there's that that classic theme out of Ecclesiastes. This is meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless, right? That word hevel. That word that just means, you know, nothing, nothing really, no matter how hard I try, I struggle to make sense of this existence, you know. He's saying, here's another thing that doesn't make sense. The person that is just alone, you know, and working all of their days, you know, trying to be successful and then at the end of the day not having anyone to share that joy and wealth with. In the English Standard Version it says, this was a person who has no other. And we're not given a reason for why they're without, you know, a companion or a friend, but perhaps it was because they're so engrossed in accruing wealth. You know, they never gave time for developing friendship maybe. You know, this person has everything they could ever want, but they haven't got anyone they can share their wealth with. Right? They never stop working and they never find contentment or satisfaction in what they have. They've found themselves at a point in their life where they're questioning what the value of their wealth is if they haven't got anyone with whom they can enjoy it, right? Which is a bit of a classic narrative. People make movies about this whole thing, the successful CEO or, you know, the successful um, actor or whoever it is and, they, and they're so wealthy and they just seem so good but then they don't actually have any friends or family or anyone left to enjoy it with, right? So it's a classic narrative. They're questioning what the value of all of their diligent hard work has been, if all of it's done, if all it's done is deprive them of their enjoyment and left them to become a lonely person, right? So this is, it's at this point where we can read verses 9 to 12 again and we'll read out of the New Living Translation. So, so coming from that perspective, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord or a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And so the first little bit of application here is that we ought to be sure in our lives as we take off on all different pursuits, you know, maybe for wealth, maybe for success, 
maybe to accomplish studying this or that or ticking off our life goals, that through those pursuits we don't neglect or deprive ourselves of making time to do that journey with the people God has placed in our lives. And that takes striking a balance, you know. We can't let whatever pursuit we're after, for this person it might have been their wealth, we can't let whatever we're pursuing get in the way of doing the journey of life together, particularly particularly in, in the church, with the church. The truth that shines through this passage, and it leads us to moving on to looking at Jesus and, and um, a Christian view of this wisdom is that God did not design us to do life alone. God did not design us to be alone. Being created in the image of God means that we're designed for community. Right? We're designed to live life together. And while no community is perfect, right, committing ourselves to relationship with others is often difficult and challenging. The benefits of life together far outweigh the challenges of life together. I heard um, T.D. Jakes preach about Noah's Ark. And he says, the benefits of being inside the ark, even while... You're with your family in this stinky ship that's full of animals and all the smells that go along with that. It's far better than being outside the ark, you know. It's a little bit humorous, but, but very true, right? The benefits of being where God wants us to be in community is far better than not being in that place. And it's at that point where we can start to jump to uh, the Christian worldview, the context of the church, which is where we find ourselves today. And as we do this, this wisdom still applies to the community of the church. You know, this value of, hey, we're, God's put us together for a certain time and season to do a journey of life together. And what does that look like? And one of the classic analogies that, that is used in the, in the New Testament is the image of a body. Right In 1 Corinthians 12, we've just read that out earlier in the service. Paul describes the church as the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of his body and his spirit is living inside of his body. And what he says is that when we become a Christian, every one of us becomes part of that body. And we each have a unique part to play within the community of the body of Christ. It's like our joining ourselves to Jesus Um, actually joined us to the church at the same time. Whether we realise it or not, whether we wanted that or not, you can't have one without the other, right? You can't be connected to Jesus without being connected to his bride, right? And so what this tells us is that you cannot live well as a member of the body if you are not living in relationship with the other members of the body. There's a sense in which we really need each other, right? Paul says... That if you're part of the body, you cannot say that you don't belong. You can't say, oh, because I'm not like that person, I don't belong. That's, he says, you can't say that. You actually do belong here. If you're tied to Jesus, you're tied to the body, there's a place, there's a part to play, and you belong. And it's just as important. Your part to play is just as important as any other. Nor can any one part of the body say that they don't need the help of one of the other parts. Right? So we can't say, ah, I don't think I need that person in my life. I'll just ignore them, even though they're part of my church or living in my community. Eh, I don't really, don't really need what they have to offer. You can't say that. Right? You might try and say that. We might live like that sometimes practically in our life. But Paul's saying, actually, every person God puts in your life 
as part of this church community, as part of the body of Christ, um, they're there for a reason. God put them there for a reason and they have something unique to offer to you. So the body or the church, our little church community here is only functioning well when each part of us is committed to doing for one another what only we can do. Right, And I want to talk about the two reasons why this is important and this is kind of going to lead us to a response. The first reason that our commitment to the body of Christ or, or a journey together is important is that God has placed something unique inside of us Right, that only we can bring to the church. No one else can do it. Right, It's because when we tie ourselves to Jesus and we become one with him, his spirit indwells us and his spirit empowers us to offer something to the church, right? It's a spiritual gift, right? 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 says, Now to each one, that's each one of the members of the body, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. What does Paul mean by that? <laughs> right? He's saying that to every believer who's part of the church, to each one who's been united with Jesus, there's a manifestation, an expression of God's power or an expression of God's presence in you that's been given to you for the common good, right? For the good of the community, for, the, for everyone else, right? And it's for the common good because everything God places inside of you, right, is designed for it to come out and be helpful to everyone else, right? This is part of life together. The gifts and talents God gives us, whether they be natural or whether they be like a supernatural empowering or an enhancement that we're already good at, God makes that happen in us and it's given to us in order to make the lives of, the, of others in the body better, right? It's not just for us or for our own sake or look what I can do. It's not about that. It's about look what I can do for you. You know, this is, this is why God uh, brings us together. And I'm going to read that verse 7 in a few different translations because there's just great language here. The New Living Translation, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. The Good News Translation says, The Spirit's presence is shown in some way in each person for the good of all. And the message says, God's various expressions of power are in action everywhere, but God himself is behind it all. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. So when we are living the way or are living out the way that God's empowered us to live in the church, when we're, when we're applying our service to others, our gifts and abilities to others, people are seeing a facet of God they've not seen in anyone else. Right? That's our gift to the church. That's something only you can give. And it's something God's put inside you to give. And that's an awesome thing. Verses 8 through to 11. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between Spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. 
to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines, just as God determines. And so what's this, what is this saying? It's saying my local church gets better when I'm there. Not because I'm good, but because Jesus living in me has a way of bringing out of me a unique gift to others. And it's the same for each one of us, right? That gift makes the lives of others better. And at that point, being involved in the life of my local church, not just talking about Sundays, but during the week, however we can participate in one another's lives, that matters more than it ever has, right? When we gather together, Jesus in you is going to bless Jesus in me. And Jesus in me is going to bless you, right? God has gifted you with something that his church needs. And if we aren't giving that thing to our church, then we're depriving our our church of what they need. You might be an encourager. You might be a helper. You might be someone who is great at telling others about Jesus you might, have be, you might have a mind that's creative, you know, and you just think a certain way about things and that's really, really helpful for the church and ministry. You might be really good at praying for others. You might be someone who's really good at listening. Whatever your gift is, you know, you might be a talented musician. You might love to organise things. That's, my, my wife just loves to organise things, you know. You might be hospitable. You might love figuring out ways to help others who are in need. You might find that God speaks to you encouraging messages for others. You might find that you're good at leading others and making things happen. There is something God has put in you and my challenge is for you to start investing that gift if you're not already, right? In, in this community of the body of Christ, in your family, in, in the lives of others around you because two people are better, better off than one. Right, there's even three is even better, <laughs> you know. How, how many we have here today? That's better, right? And, and when we start working together like that, that chord with every little every little piece doing its part, it's not easily broken. There's strength in that when we when we offer our gift to each other. So that's the first reason why this is important. There's another reason, and it's because. Our commitment to the body of Christ is important. While we need to be reminded that we have something to offer, the church has something to offer to us, right? So I'm just flipping the coin over to the other side, but I'm going to illustrate this with the story as well. We're going to go back to the book of Exodus. We're going to go to chapter 17, and I want to finish here because this is going to help us understand what does the church have to offer us, right? What we're going to see in this story is that there are some things you are only able to do in your life with the help of God's people around you. You might be gifted and called and, um, and God might have asked you to do something. You might be empowered by his presence, but even at the end of all of that, you still can't do whatever you've been asked to do without the help of the church around you. There's always going to be times when you'll reach the end of your capacity for whatever you're going through in your life. And at that point, the people God places in your life through the body of Christ, your local church, they will provide for you what you can't provide for yourself. 
This is what it says in Exodus 17, starting at verse 8. The Amalekites, they're the enemy of God's people. They came and attacked the Israelites, God's people. And then it's at Rephidim. Moses, the leader, right, he says to Joshua, the two I see, second in charge, he says, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Right, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. So if Joshua didn't have Moses standing on the hill praying for him, you know, calling on the Lord to assist him, raising his hands for him, he wouldn't have won the battle. But if Moses didn't have Aaron and Hur with him, you know, helping him hold up his hands and, and, and call on the Lord for the sake of God's people, Moses wouldn't have been able to continue to help Joshua. Do you see, do you see the cycle that's going on there? It's no mistake that when Jesus decides to live in us, he also decided to join us with a group of people who are willing to hold us up. You know, through all of life's battles, through all of the things that we're going through, through the struggles, he places us amongst people who are willing to say, hey, let me help you. Let me, let me get alongside of you. Let me pray for you. Let me hold up your hands in a sense. You know, let me do whatever I can to, be, to, to, to ensure that you make it through whatever God's asking you to do in this time in your life. My hope and prayer for every one of us is that our love for the church, our connection with the church would stay with us because one day you'll be needing an Aaron and, and a her to uphold you, right? You won't find them anywhere else but in the church. This is a unique gift that the church offers us. People who are willing to say, yep, I know the struggle, I know, I know what you're going through and I'm here to pray for you. I'm here to help you with that burden. I think of even Jesus set the example, carrying, carrying his cross to Golgotha and, and he needs someone else to help him. Simon from Cyrene, I think it was, gets in underneath and helps him carry the cross. You know, and Jesus is setting a good example for us there. Even though it's his burden, even though it's his calling, his thing that he has to do to go to the cross, he, he still has someone help him get there. You know, maybe that's a little sign for us too. What are we going through? What burden are we carrying? What difficulty are we facing? God's placed us amongst people who are willing to say, hey, I can help you with that. You know, this journey is not supposed to be done alone. And so in a way of response, um, there's, there's a number of ways you can respond. Maybe at the moment you're feeling like, man, this, this thing that I'm going through, whatever it is, this is difficult and I just feel like I'm alone. You know, I don't feel like I have anything or anyone to help. I don't feel like I've had anyone hold me up in prayer and maybe today you might like to say, yep, I need, I need some help. 
I need someone to pray for me. You know, this is too difficult without the help of, of my church family. And if that's you, very happy to pray today for you, very happy to pray later on in the week, very happy for, for you to reach out and um, ask for help. Ask someone for help. God's put us here for a reason, right? Others of us might need to start serving and offering our unique gift to the church. You know, maybe, maybe we're missing out on something you can offer, you know, a unique way that God's gifted you. And, and I, I, for one, don't want to miss out. <laughs> you know, I want us to be as strong as we can be. And today you might just say, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to figure out what I can give, what I can offer to this little corner of God's kingdom. So there's some ways to respond. Um, I pray now that as we, as we close that uh, God would speak to you. Um, Lord, help us to respond in this way. Help us to, to know the way in which we can serve one another well because two people are better off than one because a cord of three strands is, is, is uh, not easily broken. Lord, I pray that we would be able to feel um, the difference of what it means to have people in our life willing to stand in the gap for us, pray for us like Moses did up on the hill, but then also to have others help us carry our burdens. I pray today that you would help us with that, Lord, that you would help us to respond to this, um, you know, however we can, that we'd be able to... um, Offer something to others, not because we're good, but because you live inside of us, God. Because you make it possible through the power of your spirit. I pray this would be true in Jesus' name. Amen.